Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. It's good to be with you again today. Let me pray for us as the kids get their flexible paws. We'll see. I'd be curious, kids, how you make that into Paul. Come show me afterward what you have done. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the sound of children in our midst for their faith, for their learning, for the week ahead of them. For them, we are grateful. We're grateful that you have a word for us today. Speak to us as we have need. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You all look good today. I feel like I should say that. You're all looking fashionable. Robert Potter had flamingo. He left. Did he leave? He got flamingos on his shirt, man, looking good. You know, the looking good for worship. The dressing up for worship is a, you, yeah, man, you look good as well. All right, he's showing the hands like, check me out. There we go. Proud. I like it. <laughs> that was awesome. This is a relatively modern phenomenon, really post-industrial revolution, last hundred plus years and some where you, you have multiple sets of clothes. You have and could have differing types of clothes for differing occasions. For, for all of history before then, you just had clothes. <laughs> and you wore what you had and you didn't have extra. And it, it's interesting if you kind of trace some of this back, this compulsion, or not compulsion, this, this guide that doesn't really come from Scripture. We might could point to a couple parts. But of People wanting to bring their best before God. And that coming out in how we dress for worship. Now, now let me say this. There's nothing wrong with dressing up as classy as you can for worship. Come in tuxedos for all I care. You know, there's nothing wrong with coming right as you are for worship. You know, however you woke up that day. I really don't think it matters deeply to God. I think it's the condition of our heart, the desire to come before God and worship, that, that deeply matters. But one of the unintended consequences of the dressing up for worship, and you know, in our first service, I'm in a you know, coat, off in a tie, shirt tucked in, exceedingly uncomfortable the entire time. And it looks a little different. This plays a little more. One of the unintended consequences of that is that we all appear to have it very together. Right? There's something about us that if we look around and everyone's cleaned up and smells good, showered that morning, shirts tucked in, everything's pressed, you know, that, that we kind of have it all together. And, and, and then if we look around and maybe we don't have it all together that day or that season of our life, you feel like you need to act like it. We feel like we need to present as if we have it all together, as if everyone else has it all together. And what we all know is that's just not true. 
Just because you put on a dress or a coat, have your shirt tucked in, doesn't tell the full story of a life. I mean, you know, some of you who look really good today, and some of you do look really good, right? Well done, y'all. Well done. You could probably tell the story of another part of your life where you were very far from God or were living part of your life that really didn't honor God, and yet you're here today. Some of you following God very closely today. Maybe you've been doing it for some time. Maybe it's new. Who knows? You could tell parts of your life, stories of your life, whole long chapters of your life that were far from God honoring and God following. I had a deacon ordination um, when I was, my first church I served when I was in my early 20s. I was a youth minister there, and this man and his family had, had moved to town and started serving in the church and were just active servants. He was just this wonderful guy, and, and he got up there for his deacon ordination. He was, a, he was an auctioneer and uh, used to speaking, and he was kind of a funny guy, and he's like, well, say this. There's a whole church full of people here that want me to be a deacon and can't imagine me in a bar or any number of locations. But I could right now, at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, take you to a bar in any number of other locations where there's a whole lot of people that couldn't imagine me in church. <laughs> you know, one of the, the times of belonging, when we know we kind of belong to a church and a people, is when we begin to learn their messy stories. When we learn that none of us really have it all together, we all have things we're worried about, we all have things in our past we're not proud of, we all have things we're working on, and as we get deeper in Bible study with one another, deeper in community with one another, we feel safe to share some of these things and learn, pray for one another, help one another. We don't condemn one another for it, we help one another. One of the ways you know you're belonging to a church or to a group is when you share some of your mess with those around you. And even if you dress up on Sunday, you don't have to act like you have it all together in those times when we don't. And one of the amazing things of the gospel that we're talking about in Acts as we're tracing the Spirit's movement through Acts this summer is that in spite of the parts of us that aren't so cleaned up, the messy parts of our past and our present God still works through us. And that God, throughout God's movement in time, beginning at Pentecost, really before this, but at Pentecost, all through Acts, continuing today, God doesn't just look at those people that have their life all together, that have been following God for some times, that have answered the right answers to the tests, that, that look and feel like we think a cleaned up person should look and feel, and choose them only them to lead the church. No, that's not how it works. The Spirit of God is inscrutable. <laughs> Choosing maybe some from this group, yeah, but enemies of the church, foreigners, people that are so far out on the edge of what God seems to be doing in the world, bringing them in that everyone is qualified for leadership. We're going to be in, in, in Acts 9 today, and over these three weeks, last week, this week, next week, we're in Acts 8, 9, and 10, where, where God is going to 
reads through the Holy Spirit, an Ethiopian eunuch, which we talked about last week, a chief persecutor of the church this week, and a Roman centurion next week uh, through miraculous means, showing that the, the way the church is growing, the people the Spirit is moving in, these people chosen to lead this new movement are about as diverse a group, as far from that original group of 12 as could be found in the world. And this is the trajectory of what the Spirit is doing. Remember kind of our foundational things of Acts. When the Spirit comes, it comes in unexpected power and is on the move. So powerful and on the move. And it is immediately, the second thing, beyond human control and working in surprising ways. And what we're talking about these three weeks, those surprising ways are often surprising people. The Spirit uses very surprising people to accomplish its purposes throughout church history. So let's get into this messy story today. We're going to talk about Saul. We first see Saul, S-A-U-L, in chapter 7 when Stephen is about to be stoned for his faith. So this brutal murder of a Christian Saul is the one holding the cloaks of people so that they have more room for their throwing on. So he's standing there approving of this murder of the people, of Stephen. We see it very quickly in the beginning of chapter 8 that Saul is ravaging the church. It's the persecution that, that scatters this early group of believers all over this area. We get to chapter 9, and Saul has gone to the chief priest and gotten a, a writ or an order or permission to travel 150 miles northeast to Damascus, this crossroad city where kind of uh, Europe and Asia and Africa come together in trade routes. It's a very important city, very old city. Um, to go there and find followers of the way, followers of Jesus, have them bound, arrested, and brought back to Jerusalem for trial. And that's where we're going to see this kind of take place in four scenes today, this story. And that's the first scene. Paul goes with hate in his heart. Sure, absolutely sure, as he goes to persecute people, that he is in the right, that God is on his side, that he understands how God can and has been and is and will be moving. Absolutely convinced he's right. Scene one. Scene two. Somewhere along this 150-mile road, seems to me like they're probably near the end, but that's just guesswork. Saul is accosted by a bright light. Luke, the writer of Acts, calls it a heavenly light. And Saul has some companions with him. It seems like they experience this too, or at least they hear the voice. And a voice speaks from the heavenly light and puts Saul in a long line of people to whom God addressed their name twice. Abraham, Abraham, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, to his credit, 
seems to recognize this as a divine encounter immediately. And we wonder in this second scene of the story exactly what's going on in his head and in his heart and in his mind. Are the seeds of doubt there immediately? For Saul responds, Lord... Lord is going to be used, I think, five times in this passage by different people, by Ananias and by Saul. And the translation is the same, either Kyrios or Kyrie. So this is using not a general Lord title, but, but, but recognizing God at work here. Lord, who are you? <laughs> Lord, who, when you say persecuting me, <laughs> who do you mean? Could you give me a name to go with this. You, you wonder here if, if Saul is realizing, wondering, beginning to doubt if perhaps he has been fighting for the wrong team. If what he was so sure in and defending God and wanting to uphold the righteousness of God, actually he's been persecuting God. Because if Jesus answers him, then his life will never be the same. Who, who is it exactly that's speaking to me right now. Jesus responds, this voice from heaven, this is Jesus, whom you have been persecuting. The companions heard the voice, saw no one. Saul rose. The voice continues, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Go ahead and finish the journey. Get to Damascus. I'll tell you what to do when you get there. So Saul rises eyes open, cannot see, and continues the journey into Damascus. End of scene two. Scene three. Much of the story of Acts are heroes like Peter and Paul and Barnabas and, and these men and these women who did incredible things. And then there's a whole other string of, of just sort of regular Joes and regular James, people that are used in a mighty way just for one season, for one part of the story. And we have Ananias as one of these people. Ananias, God comes to him in a dream. Excuse me, God comes to, to Ananias. He says, here I am, Lord. And in the dream, in the vision, the Holy Spirit, the, the voice of God, Jesus in the dream says to him, get up. Go to the street called Straight. Look for a man named Saul. He happened to grow up in Tarsus. He'll be in the house of Judah. He is praying. He has seen in a vision that a man named Ananias will come and will lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And Ananias says, yeah, Lord, um, I know him. I've heard about him. Uh, he's come here to arrest anyone following you. God, are, are you sure you've got the right guy? <laughs> are you sure, A, this is who I should go to? Are you sure, B, you want me to do that? And, and Jesus doesn't really answer him here in this vision. just says, go. I told you to go. Go. He is a chosen instrument. End of scene three. Scene four. Imagine the plight of Ananias. Here's this guy. Somehow, interestingly, the gospel in this short amount of time has leapt 150 miles 
to Damascus. So interesting little tidbit there. As the gospel scattered, we know it's at least gone this far very, very quickly because Ananias doesn't seem like he just received it, like he seems like he's somewhat grounded in the gospel at this point. So it's gone to Damascus, and Ananias walks in to, to Saul, who's ravaged the church, who held the coats at the martyrdom of Stephen, who has a, a writ from the chief priest to arrest anyone who's a follower of Jesus, and, and Saul's got a coterie of people with him, and Ananias walks in to announce a dream of Jesus to this man. What courage of Ananias, what obedience of Ananias. And when Ananias questioned this to Jesus and the vision, he said, that man, I know that man. And yet we come to this fourth stage and Ananias is led into the house and he comes up and he says, Brother Saul, this is what the Spirit can do, friends. Brother Saul, I'm Ananias. I know what happened to you. The Spirit of God sent me here. Let me lay hands on you so that you might see and that you might receive the Holy Spirit. And Brother Ananias laid his hands on Brother Saul, made brothers in Christ enemies five minutes before. And something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes, literally, so he could see spiritually as well. Ananias obeys. And Paul immediately, basically, eats and gets up and starts preaching. Going to the synagogues where he was ready to arrest everybody, now proclaiming Christ as Messiah. Friends, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, when he moves today, it is powerful beyond expectation and on the move, and it is beyond our control and working in surprising ways through surprising people like you and me, including you and me, and all we can do as followers of Jesus is to watch and to listen where the Spirit may be moving and to do our dead-level best to keep up when the Spirit speaks. Three observations quickly of this story. First, nothing in your past, nothing in your story disqualifies you from being used by the Spirit of God in a powerful way. Nothing. I mean, if the Holy Spirit can get to Saul, and convert him to the cause of Christ. If the Holy Spirit can, in a flash, turn the persecutor into the evangelist, if the Holy Spirit can change the heart of the man who stood by while Stephen was killed and equip that man to step into the synagogue and preach powerfully to the people he was about to arrest, then the Spirit of God can and will and wants to use you as well. We know that, I think, a lot of us, if we've been around church at all, like we know that on one level, like a head level. But we need that truth, that reality to kind of crack open our hearts <laughs> and seep into our marrow, our DNA, our heart, our soul. Because I can tell you, as a pastor, 
we, I know there's so many people with a call of God on their life and something within them, kind of in their heart of hearts and somewhere in them, there's a secret shame or there's a pain, there's a grief, there's a wound, there's a trauma, there's something that they've been forgiven for but they're holding on to that in their mind or in their heart, in their soul, they think, I, I can't. I can't be used. I mean, you can, and you can, and he can, and well, certainly she can, but I don't know if I can. We hold on to this stuff. And here's the amazing, astounding thing. The very thing that may make you wonder whether God could use even you, whatever that is, that Again, that source of shame or the source of heartbreak, the source of grief, the pain, that is likely the area God will use you to be a witness for him. I mean, your source of brokenness in time through a road of redemption will likely be the platform for your witness to the world. This is the calculus of God's kingdom. Our weaknesses don't drag us down. Our weaknesses become our strong points where through a process of redemption, we stand up and we're able to speak to people going through what we went through, who felt what we felt, who feel what we felt, and speak the word of God into their life. This is how God works. Saul becomes Paul, and the persecutor becomes the greatest missionary pastor, church planner, wrote most of the New Testament. I mean, y'all, we could go on and on telling stories of those who were broken and healed and have a platform for their ministry that changes other lives. There are those for, okay, second, it's one. God can use you. God wants to use you, too. There are those for whom you are praying that are currently far from God. Don't stop praying and don't stop loving and don't stop hoping. For this shows us, these stories, that there is no soul whom the Spirit cannot reach. I mean, few are going to receive the blinding light thing that changes the story just like that. I mean, Saul becomes Paul, and it's like he just flips a switch and, and is all reoriented. That doesn't happen for most of us. That doesn't happen for most people. Most people will come, you know, after many, many years sometimes, reached by a consistent, gentle witness around them and much, much prayer. But y'all, we've heard just in this church, just among us, story after story of these just the last few weeks in my conversations with you. The story of a brother who prayed for his brother for 70 years that he would know Christ in his life. And he shared with our Wednesday group that his brother had started going to church and actually took a trip to the Holy Land and had just come back. And they had their first conversation after 70 years of prayer, one brother for another brother, about his new faith in Christ. 70 years of prayer about a son who, who had any number of struggles over any number of years and joined the military and in the special forces and in a winding road of their life, now in four, their late 40s, leading worship in church. 
entered into a seminary this week, hoping to have a ministry serving those same special forces soldiers that have the struggles that he does. We could go on, we could go on. We pray for our friends and our kids and our neighbors and our family. We pray for the world in general. Friends, keep praying, keep hoping, keep loving, Keep trusting that the Spirit of God will do the work that we cannot. Our role is to persevere and also to keep watch for when the Spirit will make that surprising move. And when God reaches them, listen. That's the third thing. The future of this church and the future of the church universal is likely going to be led by the most surprising people. Those who are far from God and come near. Those who journey in the world whose path is more circuitous circuitous than mine or yours or several of us may have been. The thoughts and the plans for new ministry the thought and the plans and the vision for reaching a changed neighborhood, the thoughts, the plans, the vision, the dreams of reaching a changed and changing world, it may not come from those of us who were here every week and have been reached by more traditional methods of church. We need to look to those who were new. We need to look to those who have come to Christ in surprising ways. We need to look to the very young. We need to look to those who have messy stories of redemption in their life and say, where is the Spirit of God at work in the world and what do you have to show us and how we can join you there? Those whom God reached and God has called, those among us with messy stories will help the church know how to reach our neighborhood. They will be the voice that guides the mission and ministry. There will be our guides in a new day, in a new future where God is on the move. We must listen and hold to those who hold our history and value the history of the Spirit's movement, but also listen to the newest voices in our midst for the fresh outpourings of the Spirit that come with every generation. Friends, this changes how we see the world. It changes how we see everyone we encounter. We will meet people in our lives we like and don't like, We will have differences of all sort with people across the world. There will be people we would be threatened to see as enemies. There will be people we wonder if they're enemies of the church. But because of this story and so many others like it, we have no enemies. There are only people in whom we wait for God's Spirit to work in surprising ways changes how we do it. There are only people in whom God may soon do a surprising work. Enemies made brothers and sisters. Church, I wonder, in whom and through whom will God surprise us next? Let me pray for us. God, your ways are inscrutable to us, hard to explain, hard to understand, and yet wondrous to behold. Help us to persevere in prayer and thankfulness and faithfulness. Help us to know down to our very bones 
that that for which you call us, you will equip us. And the only thing needed to participate in your kingdom is a yes to the prompting of your spirit. Help us to watch for surprise, to live with expectancy of you moving in ways that challenge us, shape us, change us, move us forward in your kingdom. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Hellmeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.